the volume. Oral Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. FanDuel is the best. They're America's number one sportsbook. It's so easy to use, safe and secure. What more do you need to hear here? There's fast payouts too, as quick as two hours. What a turnaround. And there's so many different bet types as well. The same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, futures. There's risk-free bets and the same game parlay bets, enhanced odds markets. There's so much more. It's fantastic. It will not let you down. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9889 in Tennessee. Or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to Oral Sessions with Renee Paquette. This is where we mash up the best of the week. We take our interviews from Tuesday and Thursday, what those episodes were. We take those highlights. We put them together all here in one convenient place for your listening pleasure. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy what we've put together here for you guys. And if you want to go back and listen to these interviews in their entirety, you can do that right here where you're listening as it is. Um, so anywhere you guys are listening to podcasts, you can go back and find those full length interviews. But otherwise, we've uh, we've done a little bit of heavy lifting for you and gave you guys some of the highlights from what from what you want to hear. But you know, we're so lucky with all the amazing guests that we have on oral sessions that I'm sure if you're fans of these people, you're going to want to go back and hear more of their story here, more of who these people are and what makes them tick and what has led to their success, all that fun stuff. Um, I love what I get to do here and I love getting to chat with all these interesting and fascinating people. It's a hell of a time. And yeah, now we just get to do a little best of here on the weekend. So here we go. Let's get into it. Here's the best stuff from this week on oral sessions. Hi. I haven't seen you, God, since SummerSlam of whatever the fuck year that was. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. We're getting right into this. How crazy was it to just be thrown right into the mix like that? You and I have seen it over the years where they want to debut either like an in-ring talent or an announcer on a pay-per-view. And it's like on paper, it's like, oh, that sounds super cool. And it's like, no, in reality, it's like really nerve. Like I was nervous as hell. You couldn't tell. I couldn't hear it. Thank you. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, working with D'Lo was a breeze. So it was just, I don't know. I hadn't called a wrestling match in like six months. So I hadn't done something the caliber of a pay-per-view since March. So I was like, oh, okay, like this is, this is different. But like once I got into it, it was so much fun. The crowd was hot. It was awesome. The crowd was super into everything. It was a very busy pay-per-view for you to jump in and call. And also for you to be doing it in a two-man booth. I know you're familiar with working two-man booths, obviously. But that just puts like more pressure on like, you got you to gotta talk. You got to fill that space. Were you feeling that? I honestly always preferred two man booths. Like I had to be diplomatic at the points and be like, "Oh no, three men are fine." I always preferred two man. Uh, when Graves and I got to do our thing in NXT, 
that was so much fun just because like he's one of my longtime friends and close friends. So it was really easy and we just were oil and water. So that was fun. But like I prefer the two man. And then very quickly I realized I was like, okay, yeah, D'Lo is really good. Like I, I think he's underrated, unfortunately, which uh, is a shame, but he was awesome. Well, that's good. You can let him shine now. Time to boost the guy up and uh, give him a little spotlight. <laughs> I don't know if he needed any boosting, but he was awesome. And uh, y- you know how it can be. Like when you're, you were in a three man at one point and it's like that third person can either become the third wheel or somebody disappears, you know? So it was cool. And then, yeah, it's really hard to find your footing in a three man booth. I mean, I definitely had a hard time trying to find my spot Especially by the time Graves and Cole would give me a space to talk, I'm like, well, shit, y'all already said everything. Well, and then we had uh, Ian Riccoboni on for the Ring of Honor World title match. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know every last thing about Ring of Honor and pure rules. So first of all, Ian's a Philly guy. So I was like, awesome. I was like genuinely wanted to work with him. And it's literally my first night out. I get to do that. So that was sick. But I told him, I was like, dude, this is your company. This is your match. So like, I'll be there to drop in a few things here and there. And he and D'Lo just ran. It was so much fun. It was easy. Okay, so let's just roll it back quickly. When did you know that you were going to be joining Impact? And like, what was sort of the conversation that all went into putting everything in place for this to happen? It's only really developed within the last month. Um, you know, I, lo- I love how people on the internet try and come up with you know concepts and rumors and stuff like oh, that. But um, it, you know, I have a lot of friends here and kind of connected me with the the powers that be and just had some good conversations. And honestly, the the schedule was very attractive because, as you know, like I just got done doing a fifty two week a year schedule for mm-hmm. about nine years. So I was like. This is great. This is really cool. And everything that I was told about what the locker room is like in Impact, what Scott Demore and Josh Matthews and everything, like everything's been accurate thus far. And I worked one day, but everybody's been awesome. So, <laughs> so it far, was so cool. Good. Yeah. Like, and, and you know how it is. Like, when you know a whole bunch of people there and like just showing up yesterday and seeing Matt Raywald and him, like being like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> so it was really cool. God, there's so many different things that I want to ask you about. So I don't even know if you can talk about this, but I'm going to ask you about it. But did you not have a 12-month non-compete with WWE? Can you talk about that? I can't get into that. I don't want to get into specifics, but I do want to thank WWE for a number of reasons. Obviously, I wouldn't be in this position to contribute to another promotion if it weren't for WWE and especially nine years of training and learning. Like The big thing I was sitting there yesterday was I, I was talking to the, the Good Brothers at one point, and I was like, man, I got, I got hired at 23. So that world was all that I've ever known. So it's a lot of the same things, but it's still breaking some habits here and there and changing a few things and then just being me. So it's just a very, very different circumstance. But again, I wouldn't be here without WWE. And this is like, sounds like a stupid question, but I know that it's not. How hard is it to just be you right now? I mean, after having gone through, you know, being the broadcaster of Tom Phillips for the last eight, nine years, to now being Tom Hannafin. I mean, I know you've been doing your podcast and whatnot as well, so that definitely helps to kind of shake some things off and get back to you as a broadcaster. But were you feeling that a little bit of like, wait, who am I again as a broadcaster? I mean, yeah, like you go from the the pressure being, you know, for a number of different reasons in terms of the way that WWE produces their shows, but like all of a sudden it's like, okay, like it's all on you. It's largely your show. I was given a lot of faith to go out there and do what we did with D'Lo. So yeah, it was it was nerve wracking because I'm like, oh, this is what I did. And then as you remember from WWE, there's certain ways that they like things done and things said and not said. 
And all of a sudden I can say certain things that I wasn't able to say. And I was like, this is really cool. Like, I think I said it on the countdown to hard to kill. We couldn't refer to Bullet Club, obviously, for trademark reasons. And we always danced around it and we said the club. So I was like, oh, I can say Bullet Club on the air. I can say pro wrestling. And it's just little like trademark things and branding things that WWE likes to do. And that's fine. But there are just so many little changes here. And it's just. Yeah, but it's just so ingrained in your brain because I catch myself still. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I I still find myself doing things. I'm like, oh my god, that's so ingrained in my head to say certain things, especially you know when I'm doing this podcast and I have on people from WWE or from other promotions. And yeah, I'll catch myself just. Uh, I can like still hear Vince in my head, and it's hard to it's hard to shake that or like have Cole in my head, you know. So the strangest thing was obviously the news broke about Mickey James being in the Royal Rumble the day before. And I realized, I was like, I, the former Tom Phillips, will be on an Impact pay-per-view promoting a WWE pay-per-view match with the Impact Knockouts world champion, Mickey James. I was like, am I being punked? Like, what is happening right now? Total it was pretty weird. Bizarro world. I was thinking about that. Yeah, because you, I think it was just, you know, on your, your cell out of the pay-per-view was to make sure to check out Mickey James at the Royal Rumble as a main event. It's yeah, that must have been deal. like such, it's a huge deal. So what do you think about, I mean, everyone, you know, uses the term the forbidden door, but in terms to it being open in this sense for Mickey James to, you know, essentially have gone through the things that she went through being released by WWE, now kicking ass with Impact, with NWA, to now her being able to go and participate in something like the Royal Rumble. It's awesome. I think it's two things. One, we all know how good Mickey James is and what a pro she is. So obviously getting somebody like her for the Royal Rumble match makes all the sense in the world. Somebody reliable when you're putting together a match of that ilk, it's huge. So you need a lot of smart people in the ring and Mickey James is that. And then it also speaks to the way Impact does business. I think Scott Demore put something out there, how Impact has worked with WWE, AEW, AAA, New Japan, Ring of Honor, like the list goes on and on. And it's just, they're open for business. And so the forbidden door is pretty wild. I, I don't really know how to describe it. Like we're living in bizarro world professional wrestling in 2022 already. Do you think that we're going to see more and more of that in WWE? I mean, now that there has been such mass releases and the roster has really been thinned out, are there going to be more and more moments like this when you get to see other people from other promotions going back to WWE or maybe just having a moment on WWE if they've never been there before? It depends. And, and like, you know, it's like moments like the Royal Rumble are the perfect opportunity sure. for those things. So I wouldn't be shocked if we got some more surprises by the end of this month, and we'll, we'll see what happens there. But Stop announcing them, by the way. God, I hate that. Were you mad that Summer Rae got announced? Yes! Okay, so like, <laughs> of all of the people announced, I mean, even Mickey James, that one's a huge one. I mean, if she came out and her music hit, I would have been like, holy shit. But Summer has not been a part of any WWE event since she left. So to hear her music hit would have thrown me for an absolute loop. And I think a lot of people would have felt the same way. So I've, I'm kind of bummed that they're announcing all of these. I like to be surprised. Like like we talk about Edge returning at the Rumble a couple of years ago, and it was like everybody's mind was blown. You don't have those moments all the time, but still to get those instances where like you feel like a kid again and you're just transported to that moment when that person was really, really lighting the world on fire and just to have them back for a few minutes, it's amazing. How weird is it for you um, as a broadcaster now having to relearn people's names and call them different names? Oh my God, I saw Matt Cardona uh, right as I was walking in the building. I'll never call him Matt Cardona, never. I can't. 
I said to him, I was like, you're the bane of my existence because <laughs> for about nine years, I'd called you Zack Ryder and it was the broski boot and it was the Rough Rider. And then in one night, I had to change all of that. And he was like, yep, changed everything. I was like, thanks, bud. <laughs> so um, what? that's a lot of guys. Uh, Jonah is a close friend. Steve Macklin is a close friend. So it's like, okay, I've got to relearn all this stuff. Um, it was just weird. And then even saying the championships impact knockouts world champion and then just undoing some things that were WWE isms that is like, oh, I don't have to hit this or that or whatever. So it's I don't know. I'm still learning. And like I, we've got the taping later tonight. This the day we're recording this. So I'm like, oh, OK, we'll see what else happens tonight. Well, it's kind of nice to do it back to back. Right. So that you can just kind of stick with it. And it is it's a learning curve. When your brain is trained one way for so long, you don't just switch it. It takes a second, especially when you're in like the heat of the moment and a bunch of stuff is happening and you're watching your monitor and trying to just like, like, oh my God, what's your name again? How do I not screw this up? I remember I used to always do that when I was calling Tamina's matches. I always called her Serona. Always. I'm like, ah, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I remember doing something on the WWE app for all you crazy kids out there that remember that. And I was interviewing Cesaro and I called him Claudio and he just leans in and he just leans in. He's like, Hey, fave. And he walks out of the screen and I was like, I'm definitely fired. I'm absolutely fired. I will. I do it. Yeah, I definitely do it to him as well. And I, I always had a hard time calling Christian Christian when we were doing backstage. I was just wanted to call him Jay. These things throw me. Uh, yeah. Throw you for such a loop. Um, okay, so you're at Impact. Everything is great. What else is going on in your life? You've like you've just what a crazy like year. You, didn't you just lose thirty pounds? Tell me about that. <laughs> so you look great. Thank you. Um, Whatever so, tanner you were wearing on the pay per view was great. By the way, it was really nice. So much makeup. Thank you to thank you to Caroline in the Impact makeup department. She made me she made me tan. Thank you, Caroline. Shout out to Caroline. When the pandemic first hit, it was June 2020, and like I stepped on the scale, and I was like, "This is more of a person than I should be. Like, this is not necessary." Because <laughs> everybody, more, like everybody, I think we all thought it was going to be over in a couple of weeks, and I was like, "Great, I'll just Uber Eats to the other side." And August of that year, I really started committing to like, "All right, I'm going to drop some weight and, and get in shape." So I, I lost like 30 pounds, and now I'm just. What did you do? I was walking a ton. I was going to the gym regularly. Like I was just being lazy for years. Like I remember Michael. Cole told me when I uh, started on the road, he was like, you're going to get fat. And I was like, no, I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm skinny. I got a great metabolism. I'm young. And he was like, you're going to drink. You're going to eat bad food on the road. You're going to get fat. And he was right. Happens to literally everybody. Like it's, it's really hard to avoid. Also, when you're just walking through catering, you know, like catering and those snacks, if you're like a little bit bored during the day and there's those beautiful, giant, crispy cookies laid out. So many chocolate chip and oatmeal raisin cookies. Just, so oh good. God, it was so good. So yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been it's been really good for me. It's been good for my mental health. I know everybody talks about mental health, but it's been a roller coaster past year for me and I won't get into too much. But like, I mean, we like to get into I things know, here, I Tom, know. but if you don't want to, you have my blessing. There's a lot of stuff, uh, you know, in, in my personal life that has changed. And in terms of obviously leaving WWE, like, as I mentioned, this is all that I knew for, for nine years. So I was heartbroken when that happened. So a lot happened in a very short span. And if anything that this past year has taught me is that, um, you know, it's the old cliche that good things come to an end. And that's okay. 
I, I know the feeling, dude. Like I, I know that feeling and it, it does, it does take a minute to really, it, it's heartbreaking. That's, I mean, that's a perfect way to put it. It breaks your heart. Um, you know, even though like, you know, when I left and I left the way that I wanted to leave, it still broke my heart. Speaking of getting watery eyed, when you left, <laughs> I was think like, I wasn't going to bring like, that up. Oh, I hate you so much. I was like, oh, Renee's leaving. I'm like, oh, that sucks. And then when I see you the day of that SummerSlam, I'm like, I just start crying. And I was like, what in the world? And then Dustin Wallace uh, is there shooting it. He's like, don't worry, Tom, I got all of that. Such a bastard. Damn you, Dustin. I mean, it was, yeah, you cried when I left and, and Booker cried. You were the only two that Booker cried. Booker cried? Oh, actually, Graves <sighs> cried too. Graves yeah, cried like did. away from everybody, but he shed some tears. He's a marshmallow. <laughs> he really is. Uh, no, like I, I've said this a million times on a bunch of different platforms, but like when I first started, I had next to no experience in television. Again, I was 23 years old. I never used a prompter. I'd never worked in a studio. So they put me with you in Stanford. And you literally held me by the hand and took me through stuff. So you and I, you know, experienced everything together. And it's not like we were like hanging out in bars every single night or something like that. We did have those nights. What was the one in Indianapolis where you and Lita sung Prince? Um, The Wild Beaver Saloon? (laughs) For some reason, when I'm like scrolling through my phone, if I'm like trying to, it's like someone's birthday or something. I'm like, I need to find a picture with this person. I come across those videos all the time. And I get that like that cringy feeling of like, what the fuck were we thinking? Trying to go up and sing Let's Go Crazy to a bunch of 19, 20 year olds that had not a clue. Well, I guess it would have been 21. We're not in Canada anymore. We were all boozing. Um, but uh, yeah, nobody knew the song. Nobody liked it, but we stuck to our guns. And we really tried to see it through to the end. It's terrible. I respected it because Prince had just passed. Yeah. So you and Lita were like, we absolutely have to pay homage to him. And you did. Uh, and that place, <laughs> oh, uh, I think it was, I, I, I believe it was called the Wild Beaver Saloon. Like the, the sign outside was hilarious. And I'm just standing there taking pictures and photos for you. And I was like, this is not going well, but it's hilarious. <laughs> it was not our best showing, but we really, we, we saw the performance through to maybe not the end, but at least three quarters of the way through. Um, but yeah, we definitely had those times. You and I really did. Like we started really close together, maybe within a couple of weeks of each other, maybe even days. I, like, I don't know what it was. It was very close though. But it is really funny to look back on like sort of like those reflective moments of, yeah, I had more television experience at that time. So I was able to guide you through the studio stuff and reading off of a teleprompter and, you know, even being down at NXT together when we could, you know, kind of let loose and do our own thing and, and find out who we were in the scheme of WWE, what we sounded like, all that stuff. But on the other side, when I started doing commentary, I mean, damn, you really like took me by the strong arm and like you did your best to help me in a situation where I was like, somebody help me. But you were great. I mean, you would always like text me during the shows. You would give me updates on things. And you didn't have to do that. You certainly did not have to do that. So, I mean, I always really, really appreciated you trying to send me a a lifeline. (laughs) It's scary because like wrestling commentary is unlike anything else. And it's why, you know, I've since leaving WWE, I am committed to working in the sports world and in the entertainment world at large. So when I'm having these conversations with a variety of networks, it's been like, oh, what can you do? I'm like, I can do anything. And it's not ego saying that that's just confidence because of what WWE and professional wrestling asks you to do in a broadcast. 
I always refer to it as like a boulder rolling downhill is that you're constantly trying to get out of the way of the boulder. It's like Indiana Jones. And if you don't hit something at the appropriate time, the moment is gone. It is live narration and voice acting. It is unlike anything else. And then for us, for a lot of different things to be intentionally late to something, even though we already know about it, there's so many little facets to it that are really terrifying when you're in the moment and you just want to hit it right. And then I mentioned voice acting. So much of it is just freaking acting where it's like, you know, the guy's going to get hit with a steel chair, but you've got to be, my God, he got hit with a steel chair, you know, so it's, it's really scary. So I understand the feeling and I hate to see anybody else in that situation and being like, what do I do? And it's like, all right, let's help him out. (laughs) I'm waving my arms, help me. Come pick me up. Uh, No, but I mean, it is, it it really is such an interesting world. And I mean, I feel like you could dissect doing commentary for wrestling. I mean, I feel like I could for forever. It's one I just, I still think about it. I've not done it in so long. And when I watch shows, I still think about it. And it's not even something that like, you know, I was not necessarily as passionate about it, but I, I always want to be good at the things that I do. So I'm always like, wait, I'm still trying to figure it out. You were committed to it, even though it was like clearly not necessarily something that you were like trained to do or even like really yeah. terribly interested in doing, like, to be frank. I, <laughs> I, I think there was room for you to grow there and actually become somebody really, really good on color I commentary. So I think about what Beth Phoenix was able to accomplish on NXT and just because that setting allowed her the time to grow and develop. What Beth Phoenix became as a commentator, I absolutely was like, yeah, Renee Paquette absolutely could have done the same thing. It's just, it's just a matter of setting sometimes. And there are a lot of instances where you and I would see it and it's like, that might not be the right platform or something. And they just need a little bit more time to cook or something like that, so to speak. So that's just wrestling. That, that happens all the time. Let's talk about like some of your stuff through WWE. I mean, we talked about us starting at the same time and, you know, you got to go on, you've called Raw, you've called SmackDown, you've called pay-per-views, you've called WrestleManias, you've done all these things, but you did have some different ups and downs while in WWE. What was that like going through some of those moments of doing shows, coming off of shows, moving on to other things that can be um, a bit of a, a mind fuck, I would say. There are definitely frustrations, but there were so many high points when those opportunities would come up. I've been put on SmackDown in 2014. I think I'm the youngest lead play-by-play announcer in the history of SmackDown. I didn't know what I was doing. No idea. Like that run of whatever briefly, however it was on SmackDown with like Cole and JBL. I, I hear that stuff every once in a while. I was like, that was terrible. I needed to come off that show. So in the moment, you're a kid and I was naive and I was like, oh, I'm a little frustrated by this. But in retrospect... All the changes that occurred, I understood why they happened. And then for things to pop up, you know, uh, last minute being the play-by-play guy for SmackDown for WrestleMania 33 in Orlando. I think like two, three weeks before the show, Cole told me, he's like, you're calling WrestleMania. And I was like, oh, really? All right, cool, man. You know, (laughs) looking forward to it. So it's like, just don't mess up. So I, I think it's. It's so normal. Again, it's just it's just the world of professional wrestling. And I even experienced it last night in Hard to Kill is that rarely are there moments where you feel 100% prepared. And that's the beauty of it. You just get thrown in the deep end and you got to see if you swim. How do you prepare? Because I would always see you putting your notes together. You've got your iPad. You, you are a very organized person. You are like very type A. Super OCD. Oh my God. Super OCD. What goes into your prep? It was very different, obviously, with WWE just because you have so many live traffic elements that you have to deal with as a play-by-play announcer and that 
I took a lot of pride in making sure I'm like, I've got the ads right. I've got the B-roll you know, set. I've watched all the packages. I know all my lead-ins, all that stuff. I just wanted all the traffic, as we refer to it, to be really clean. And I prided myself on that. And then secondary after that was making sure, okay, I get my partners involved, Graves and Byron there for a while. And then kind of third was calling the match because you almost have to treat that as like a reflex. So once like over years of working on it, that became a reflex. I found I was taking less and less notes about the match itself, like maybe one or two little things here and there. And you just memorize certain things in terms of how many times a guy's been champion or where he did it, etc. Impact was very different because obviously I've not been calling it for years. So I had been watching it for a number of years. I watched a fair amount of the TNA days and then when it transitioned into TNA Impact and now just Impact Wrestling. So I've been a big fan of Impact stuff for a while. So it's just a matter of kind of hitting the refresh button, so to speak, and then just doing a lot of notes. Like this was the most notes I've done for a show in a long time. I have an enormous chip on my shoulder and this is my opportunity to prove what I've been thinking and saying for a very long time and uh, I can't wait to do it. Yeah, I mean, I can I can definitely echo and back you up on that, that I know just how talented you are. I know what you bring to the table and Thank honestly, you. like anyone that hired you would be blown away at the job that you would do. Um, you would just Stop knock it. it. Truly though, you would knock Stop it out of the park. It. Thank you. Um, and I, I think that that, again, is like, it's definitely a testament to, to all the work that you've put in over the last, you know, almost decade. You've put in work and you've been put in just about every possible situation. Um, so it's nice to be at a point where you're like pretty unflappable. You're like, bring it, throw anything my way, let's go. I was not finished. I was just getting warmed up yes. and I can do anything. I deep down believe that in my heart. So I thank you for saying all that and I'm ready to go to work. Yay. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> Truly thank I you. am. I love seeing people like just, you know, it's, it's time. It was time to move on to the next thing. And that's where you're at now when you're on that next thing and it started, you're in it. Um, and it's, it's really exciting for me to, to watch as a friend of yours to see what you're, what you're going to do and you get to just do it as you right now. And it's, it's really, really cool. So I'm so happy for you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for breaking the news. Everything. You're the best. I I love you desperately. You're a wonderful friend. You're the best. It was so nice to have you on here and, uh, yeah, I'll just be, I'll be watching and seeing you do more things. And I'm sure at some point we'll get to work together on something again, whatever that may be. I don't know what it is, but who knows? Oh my gosh, let me grab my belt because former wrestler here, I gotta, you know, I gotta get, I gotta get ready here. Got the, <laughs> an intercontinental champ one. I've got all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm a big kid over here. Yeah, why not? Keep the fucking goods coming. I'm glad I wore pants because I told my husband, I go, I'm just gonna wear a shirt. He goes, you might forget like that one guy did lost his job. I'm like, well, it wouldn't be the first time people saw, you know, whatever. Thanks for having me on. Oh my gosh, thank you for coming on. This is so exciting. What happened yesterday? I have a rental property up north and the septic tank. Let me tell you something about up north. You're in Michigan, right? Yeah. The water up north is like full of salt. So the septic tank filled up with water. Now we have to do the septic field. It's a real pain in the butt. So it's been fun the last year having this property. But once it's, you know, everything is said and done, it'll be worth it. But it's a real pain in my, you know what? So is it a rental property or is it just like a second property that you have for yourself? It's a rental right now and we're kind of slowly doing things to it. So once we kind of get it how we want it, you know, it'll be kind of, we won't rent it. So, but it's nice. 
I love it. Well, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Guys, this is Kendra Lust. If you didn't already know that, she is just a cool, absolute gem of a human being. Obviously, a huge sports fan. We've got the Jordan jersey in the background. You're just showing off your Intercontinental title. You've got championships at home. I know that you're a huge MMA enthusiast. Um, But let's start with the things that you are known for. Oh, wait, what does that shirt say? I mean, I touched my boots, but Misha I really Misha. Yay. Oh, my gosh. Where did you get Love that her. shirt? I need that shirt. She sent it to me. Why did she send me a shirt? I, no, wait, wait, wait. The not fuck, this shirt. Misha? She, I think she sent me another one. I misspoke. My husband ordered this one for me. And then we have some for our daughter and stuff, so. How cool is Misha? Isn't she just the shit? She's the best. I love her. She really is. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoy working with her. She's like, she's such a trip. I love that she just calls people out and says shit. And it's like so unapologetic. She's a badass. Very, very cool. Yeah. But she's genuine, you know, and she's like, there. I don't feel like there's a bad bone in her body, you know, and, and it comes from a place of authenticity and honesty. So I just like her style. So. Um, okay, let's let's go back to uh, to you know the the adult film industry because I have so many questions. I'm so fascinated by all of this. Um, you initially were a nurse, correct? You went to school for nursing. Yes, still a nurse. <laughs> so oh, you are still a nurse. You know, I would feel really terrible if I didn't keep up my you know certification just because it was a real pain. What do you have to do to keep that up? You have continuing education credits, so. Every two years, you have to complete 25 CEUs or whatever. So, and they're constantly changing depending on the state that you're in. So, it's just good. It kind of keeps you up to date with some of the current treatment modalities and just patient care and all that stuff. So, it's kind of a pain um, to do that, but I just, I don't want to let that lapse and then, you know, regret it. No, that's really smart. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, hey, who knows? Maybe one day you'll need that and you'll be like, damn it. They should have kept that going. So yeah, good on you for keeping that alive. So you've made like an absolute empire for yourself. Um, I mean, geez, you've done so much stuff even outside of the adult film world. But going back to it, I mean, to, to be able to produce and direct and star in, did you think when you first stepped into that world that you would have taken on as much as you were able to take on and make such a name for yourself as like a woman in that industry? essentially the whole goal. And it wasn't just for the money. However, it was just family circumstances kind of led me down that path. And I always say like, nobody grows up and says, yeah, I want to do porn for a living. Yeah. That's, you know, come on, let's be real. Right. So, yeah. So I just essentially wanted to make extra money for my family and just stash it. And I, I was so naive to the fact that the internet is so vast and there's so many people that have so much access to it. So I was just naive. I mean, I had my drawer full of DVDs in my own private collection. <laughs> I thought, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> and then uh, six months after I started, people started to find out. So I thought, you know, like there's no turning back at this point. And, uh, you know, my husband said, well, I'll go big or go home. And that's kind of how it started. But I never thought I would do any of the stuff that I did once I started at all. I guess I didn't have, sad to say, I didn't have much of a plan when I first got in. So yeah, I mean, not to say it was just about the money, but it was a means to keep stuff going for your family. You kind of do what you have to do. Um, I mean, as you, you know, you kind of start this off by saying, you, you know, you don't grow up being like, oh, I want to get into porn. But do you remember the first time that you watched porn and like what those feelings were for you or yeah, it's like what that kind of conjured up? I was really young. I discovered a pair. Oh my gosh, I don't even. My mom listens to some of these, so 
Mom, if Sorry, you mom. probably didn't even know about this, <laughs> it was probably dad's because I just discovered this VHS tape and um, I was like, ooh, what's this? I'm really thinking it was more for my dad because there was a lot of girl, girl. I think it was mostly girl, girl. So I really loved watching it. I wish I knew the girl's name though, because uh, she had big hair, but these big boobs and uh, this brunette. I don't know to this day, but I was just like, wow, that's hot. You know, so kind of took the tape and never gave it back. (laughs) Did you like burn it out watching it a bunch of times? Sure, I did. I mean, uh, my dad probably never could say that it was gone. (laughs) I can't go, did you take my porn? You can't. So it's like, eh. Well, it's mine now. All mine. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, okay, so your first time, like, how do you get in to the industry? What was the first kind of step or the relationship you had with somebody to kind of open that door for you? I knew no one. I was, you know, in Michigan, still in Michigan, and I just didn't know anybody. So at that time, webcamming was kind of a thing. So, you know, I started webcamming and having fun with that. And then I realized there was a photographer from Sacramento who said that I should probably start a Twitter. So that's when I started a Twitter. I think it was 2011 or 12 and, and started to kind of network and, and see and research the big companies. And that's where I started to kind of reach out to people through social media. I was able to kind of connect with some people, not necessarily the right people. However, it gave me a chance to go out and I did. And God, that's a whole other story for another day. I mean, I stayed at the Ramada Inn, I think, on Wilshire, which is like 45 minutes away from the Valley. And I didn't know where the hell I was. I didn't know traffic was so bad. I was just kind of like a deer in the headlights. So, you know, I just was kind of like a fish out of water. However, uh, I had a plan and I had to execute and uh, it kind of worked out. So I'm, I'm grateful. What was the plan? Yeah, the plan was just to make a lot of money and, you know, like four or five days and then come home you know? So that was it. Um, you know, the days I wasn't working at the hospital or I couldn't get overtime, you know, because our schedules were usually like a month, six weeks in advance where they'd be planned. So, you know, I'd work two, three days and then I'd have like a stretch of X amount off or, you know, so you could kind of coordinate things and granted they were fast trips and, you know, not a lot of sleep, but luckily for my better half, you know, he was really great at kind of holding down the fort here. And yeah. So yeah, my partner in crime, so to speak. You walk onto your first porn set. What do you see? What do you learn? What is like, what is happening? Like, they must be very professional or are they not? What, like, what is it like? Well, it all depends on the producer and the company. I'll be honest. And, and I'm not like crap talking about the industry. Everybody knows it is what it is. For the most part, they're really professional, especially, you know, the bigger companies. Um, one of the first companies I worked for was Kink. Now that's when they had the armory in San Francisco and it's this big building and it's cold and it's dark. And there are all kinds of rooms that have all different types of scenes set up. So it's like a bird cage with these electrical things. There's people being hog tied, you know, all kinds of crazy things, the fucking machines, you know, and that's the, one of the first ones that I did, did it with a, with a girl. And that was really cool. Very intense. And I just wanted to just, I don't know, get a little crazy. And I knew Kink was one of the largest, if not the largest companies out there. So I was like, how cool I can probably make the most money, you know, with them and it's going to be professional and I'll be in a safe environment. And that was a really, really good experience. I loved it. I had fun. So that was like, you know, pretty like chill, cool sailing. And then dun, 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 
I uh, shop for browsers and I, and I love them. I, you know, have a good rapport with the company and always have been treated well. However, my first scene, I was so scared because I'm doing this hot meme and I'm pretty submissive. Like I'm a pleaser when it comes to women, when it comes to guys, like I'll whip that ass, you know, like you will bow down, <laughs> but I can also be submissive, you yeah. know, it just depends, right? Like, you know, I'm a switch when it comes to guys, but when it comes to, you know, women, I'm pretty submissive. Well, I guess when it comes to younger, okay, I guess I'm a switch. Let's just put it that way. Wait, a switch? What's a switch? A switch is where you can be like submissive, but then again, you can be more dominating and then it just depends on your partner. So you're, you know, you're flexible, but it kind of goes back to being the pleaser, right? Which I am. So hot and mean, I'm working with this, uh, I believe, oh God, I should know her name. I can see her face. She is Hungarian. She is a kick-ass performer. How do I not remember? I swear to God. I'm sure someone will tweet it to us. I'm so like, I can see her face and her big boobs and her presence. And she, I mean, she just exudes sexuality and confidence and all of these things I'm not at this point, right? So it was a little intimidating, but she was really, really nice and very experienced. So she was like, you know, just don't be worried. You know, this is how it's going to go. And, you know, we're going to have fun, whatever, blah, blah, blah. However, they set me up at that time with the most difficult director known to man. I'm like, wow, is this really how it's going to be? I didn't like how he treated the staff. He was very condescending and insulting. And I'm just like, oh my God, he's treating like the photographer like this. And the, you know, the lighting guy, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy's a tyrant, right? Like, I can't wait to see how this is going to go. For some reason, him and I, we got along really well. We, we established a rapport. We started talking about Jordans and shoes and basketball. So we ended up just being really cool. And he, he was really great. And he was great with the talent, but I think his team, he ran a very tight ship. And uh, so once the scene started flowing, I just became, I don't know, I just kind of out of, I don't want to say out of body experience. I'm not like a weirdo. I mean, I'm slightly creepy, but, (laughs) but it just flowed and it was natural. And I just try to forget about the camera and you're really not supposed to do that in the industry because you need to see angles and lighting and all that stuff. But I thought it was pretty good in hindsight. It was probably pretty terrible, but it was fun. Do you shoot each scene several times to get different angles? Are there stop downs? Are like, how does that, how long does that take? And are you so chafed by the end? Yeah, depends. It depends on the the director, right? Or the type of scene. If it's a, you know, a feature, you're on set for 12 hours. I remember doing a feature for 18 hours for Wicked. And I was just like, is this going to end? And it's a lot of hurry up, do this, do this. And then you wait and you sit. You know, it depends if it's Gonzo, it's usually just one camera. If it's more of a storyline or a feature, you know, you have two cameramen, you know, so um, sometimes three. So it just really depends. And, you know, your day can go really fast. It could be six hours. It could be four hours. You know, anything I think that is shot with a level of, I don't know, quality or care would be at least four to six hours. You know, I never expected getting out of, you know, a shoot less than, you know, eight hours, you know, so it just depends. So it's, you know, hair, makeup, pretty girls, um, dialogue, you know, so it just depends. But actual sex is only about 30 minutes. Really? I know, right? Interesting. You guys all do this. You outperform all of us in your own bedrooms. Okay. We just put it out there. So. (laughs) 
fascinating. Interesting. Okay, so did how do guys manage through this? What do they do? Are they taking Viagra? What's like what's keeping the dream alive for these guys? Yeah, so some are just honestly natural man. They just I'm telling you and it's insane to think. And I I don't and then there are some, you know, because let's let's face it, like how which, I mean, I don't know what it's like to have that. However, it's, you know, here, right? Most of the time that's connected. And when you have a room full of people or a director doing a POV and he's breathing down your neck, we can fake it. They can't, you know, to keep that edge. Uh, there's no fluffers, okay? He's his own fluffer. Generally professionals, the guys, they know what to do that, you know, and I'm sure some do pop a little something or shoot a little something. You know, I don't ask. I don't care. Do what you got to do. Okay. Let's just have an easy day. Okay. Let's sell this scene. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I love it though. It's not like I don't, if I didn't like it, I wouldn't do it. It's like, how can you despise or like, I mean, I would work with some people and they, they like put the girls down because I love women, but you could see they were over it. And it's like, I get it. You know, you've been doing it a long time. And it's like, just hang up the phone, honey, because you're doing me a disservice. I'm here to have some fun, sell the scene. Let's have a great day. You know? you know, you're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. And that's kind of pissing me off while you're staring at my vagina. Okay. No, that's what you're having for lunch. <laughs> that's it. Okay. That's what you have for lunch. <laughs> what, what is the shelf life for a woman in the porn industry? I don't really know. To be honest, they say turnovers like six months. A girl enters the business and then leaves in about six months. And then, you know, if a girl lasts a year, a couple years, I guess, then maybe they'll have longevity. But you know, there's so many variables within the industry itself. And then with civilian life and, you know, it's complicated. And I, if I were not older when I started and I didn't have, you know, you know, wasn't established and with my husband and things like that, you know, I could very well have been somebody that entered and left. So, you know, I try not to really judge those that get into it because you don't know. I mean, maybe they try it. It's bucket list. They, you know, want to have some fun. And then, you know, so I don't know, honestly, shelf life, it it's just depends on the person. What was the conversations like that you were having with your husband as you were deciding to get into this? How does, how does that kind of come together? Like I said, my husband said, you know, go big or go home. And I was like, well, I don't know. And he's like, well, you can't take it back. Let's be real. And we really don't have the money to try to take it back. I mean, let's, we just don't. Okay. At that point, we were just really excited to have maybe 20,000 in the bank at always. We were just like, yeah, that's cool. That's good. We're going to just maintain this and we can pay off this and do this, you know, and, and I'm not downing anyone. I mean, I know everyone's situation is different, but for us, we were really excited at that time, you know, in six months, we were able to just you know, stockpile and whatever. Okay. So that was our goal then. At that point, I just said, well, you know, if I'm going to do this, then we need to be smart about it. And him and I just had a lot of conversations about what I would be willing to do. How far do I want to take it? That's kind of when we started to develop not a plan, but just I started looking to other girls to see what they did, to see how they became successful and to see how I could do that. Even though age was an issue, my agent sucked ass. I'm not saying I didn't learn anything from her. So I really shouldn't say that, but in the end she showed her true colors and that was just disappointing. You know, like I went to a woman for that reason, hoping that I wouldn't be, be taken advantage of. And unfortunately that was the circumstances, but you know what? That's okay. Things happen for a reason and wish her all the best. But yeah, so we just, him and I just were back and forth what I was comfortable with and what he was comfortable with. Yeah. Like what were some of the limitations that you guys wanted to put on of things that you didn't want to do? 
definitely no anal because I didn't even do anal. I didn't even do it in my personal life. So I didn't really know. And I think it was just, we didn't know what the hell we were doing, you know? And it's like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I want anal. My little one's up there playing Fortnite, right? Brought it down to the living room on the <laughs> 75 inch because, you know, she's mad that dad has COVID and we can't, she can't go to the holiday party with her friends. So she's pissed off. So she brings the whole system down there. So she's, oh my God, playing online. So if you hear that, I apologize, but I'm kind of, she says she doesn't listen, but I know better. She's nosy. Anyway, so it was just like, no, you know, because we hadn't done it. And then if we did try, it was just like, oh, yeah, just put it in. No, you dumbass. Like, that's not how it happens, right? Ow, pain, like, through your whole soul. So <laughs> that was one of the things that I was like, no. My career progressed. I just thought, well, there were offers coming through. And and him and I talked about it. So I never did anything without him being comfortable with it or. I'm not just going to do something without talking. You just don't do that. You know, it's still work. It's a business and there's a respect factor and there's limits. And, and I told him at any time, if you're uncomfortable with anything or this becomes an issue with us, I'm done. Deuces, you know, thank you for what you've, you know, the industry for what you've done. But my, my home and my family, and my marriage is way more important than this alter ego life because it's, that's exactly what it is. It's not who I am, right? Okay. So you mentioned your daughter is there. She's uh, playing Fortnite and all that. How, do, uh, what are the conversations you have with your daughter to explain these things that of course she's going to come across and see? She's pretty wise beyond her years. She's very mature, kind of like an old soul, but real goofy. I don't know. She's just a cool kid. And she's always kind of known something. And I think it bothered her. She said, why are people calling your name? You know, when we walk, it was at wrestling. It's the first time we took her to a wrestling. She's like, why are they calling you Kendra? And I explained, I said, well, I do have a model name. And I kind of, we started there. That was like when she was around six or seven. And then as the years progressed and more or less, it became a little bit more age appropriate each year, each year. Well, Sixth graders tend to know a lot more than sixth graders did back when I grew up, right? So she brought that to my attention. You know, mom, I know more than you think I know. And I said, oh, well, enlighten me. Let's, let's chat. And she goes, you know, I might not agree with everything that you do for your job. She says, but I have to respect it. She says, because it's going down either way. <laughs> and dad knows and he respects it. She's like, so it is what it is more or less. And I'm like, gosh, that's pretty mature. And like, wow. And I said, well, I feel relieved because I, the last thing I wanted was for you to resent or be really upset with me. And she's like, or hate me. And she's like, I can never hate you. You're my mom. I said, but you know, in life, people are going to say negative things. People are positive things, no matter what you do. I said, but what people think of me, I don't really care. Dad doesn't care. I said, all the people that matter to us, all of our family, all of our friends, everybody knows. I said, and I'm your mom. They treat me as Michelle. I said, that is work. That is not who I am. And she's like, I don't really care. She goes, if anyone says anything to me about you, she goes, I will choke them out because <laughs> she does MMA and she's, you know, wrestling with kids that are older than her. And she's really good anyway. So not easy. And I told her, you know, I'll explain more as she gets older, but she pretty much knows. Did you feel relieved when she brought it to you to just be like, okay, let's just have this conversation and let's move on? Yes, of course. You know, I was sick about it. That would weigh on my, you know, and I talked to another incredibly beautiful soul performer, human being, Brandy Love. Um, I remember the conversation because I know she's a mom as well. And 
I said, I don't know how to deal with this. I, you know, I'm struggling with this and I don't know what to do. And, you know, so she was really helpful. One little conversation did help me. And it was almost like no elephant in the room, right? So her and I, you know, my little one and I, so, so it's good. Um, Okay. So you mentioned um, the first agent or manager that you worked with. Things didn't really pan out the way that you wanted, but you had your own talent agency. How did that kind of come together? And what do you look for in your talent? I was really kind of bitter with how my, once I kind of saw how she was treating people, not just me, just, I mean, other talent. And I was like, man, like that sucks. And I wanted to not despite her, but I wanted to change the way, you know, I saw agents uh, treating girls. I didn't like it. Is that pretty common in that world as well for agents to be, I guess, man, I, don't, I don't know her what happened, but yes, manipulative or Just shady. You know, like shady comes to money and, 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 you know, that type of thing. There are two agents that hands down the best. And that will be if Mark Spiegler, he is a class act. He will help. He's been doing it forever and uh, just a good human being. And he's changed a lot of lives. So Mark Spiegler is incredible and Mark at ATMLA. So those are the two agencies. Like I would recommend any new girl to go to if they are not able to represent themselves. You know, looking for girls, young always sells the new fresh face, right? The new girls are always, you know, able to star in all types of different roles, right? Traditionally, blondes sell sell more. 18, 19, because they can be stepdaughter. They can, you know, be girlfriend. I mean, they're just, they're just marketable. The girl next door type thing, right? And then they evolve, right? And then they can star in, you know, hot stepmom or however it is that they want to do. So there's a lot of room for them to, you know, I guess in the industry to, to make a lot of money. So everybody always wants to shoot the new girl, but not always. I mean, you need a variety. I mean, I think variety is a spice of life, right? So you need, you got to look for, you know, an Asian, a black girl, a, you know, or Latin type girls. But anytime we had like 18 or 19 year old girls, even up to 20 that would want to sign, I, I just, that maternal instinct kind of kicked in. And I, I kind of sometimes would talk them out of it, I feel, but I feel that at that age, I was doing so much dumb stuff. Right. And looking back, I'm thinking, oh my God, I wasn't caught. Like, thank God. Right. And I always tell them like, this will forever change your life. You can't take it back. So I wouldn't sign them. I gave them like three days. Um, you're going to take three days and really think about this because your family is going to talk shit, everybody. Okay. And you can't take it back. So if this is what you want to do, you know, you better be committed. Well, Kendra, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It was awesome to chat to you and just get to meet you this way. I mean, I've been able to see you on uh, social media and all that. So it's great to be able to actually talk to you and pick your brain. Thank you so much. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on this special edition of the best of for oral sessions. We just mash up the best from the week, let you guys get the little highlights. You can go back and listen to the full length episodes should you choose to do so. I highly recommend it because there's some good stuff in there. It's really hard to cut these down because these chats can be so great. We, we, we really do have the best guests come on here and hang out. And uh, I love being able to do that here on the show. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. You can go back and listen to more of the episodes. You can also watch these interviews on our YouTube page. You can just search Renee Paquette, search for the volume network, and you'll be able to find all the things. We've got the short clips. We've got the full length interviews, find them all on there. Like subscribe, share, turn on the notifications, all that good stuff. We'll see you guys next time on oral sessions. 